Welcome everybody to episode two of the No Bullshit Anxiety Talk Show. Yes, that's right. It is a talk show. And even though you just heard me rambling on my own for the last 45 minutes in the first episode, I am super excited to let you know that I have a guest with me today. Uh, His name is Tim Fitzgerald. He's a great friend of mine. He's a super therapist and he does a lot of really interesting work on, on childhood trauma and how that manifests into trouble later on at life so without going too deep into it and trying to explain to you what exactly tim does i'm going to welcome into the show and let him do it himself welcome to the show tim thanks nicky thanks for having me uh sure yeah I'll, i'll give you just a quick intro um my life my work how it ties together and and here it is i uh grew up in dysfunctional family which means uh our family was less than optimally functional um, and what I learned is that, that that had impacts on me later on so I've had to work through a lot of that stuff on my own um, and to become my own individual person so what do I do in therapy I just um, I help people see the impact the family has had on them and why they're having difficulties in life now and we work towards the process of um, individuation becoming their own true self okay awesome and i really want to dive into that because i I think that stuff is really exciting and and really important and i think um the more perspective people have around this the better but if we could we could dive down a little deeper because i think i think everybody when you say you grew up in a dysfunctional family i think we all kind of believe our family is somewhat dysfunctional and um you know we we fall into the comparison trap and look at other families and and most families from what i can see try very hard to to appear very manicured on the outside so if you could just dive into a little bit deeper into what actually what you really classify as dysfunctional and and how it impacted and affected you yeah, let me. Uh, I'll start out kind of shallow here. We can dig in a bit. Um, if you look at the word dysfunction, it means an interruption. So if you imagine you're out to dinner and it's going well, you're with friends, with family, and then something negative happens, it interrupts the flow of the whole interaction. Um, so then, in dysfunctional families, basically there's an interruption in flow, and uh, You'll see it. I mean, you see it live out out in the world or you hear about friends' stories where, like, um, things just aren't working well. And that's that's pretty much what dysfunction is at a really base level. I've I've never really heard of it in in that. um, I've never heard that um, description of it before. It makes total sense. Um, I'd say most families are dysfunctional <laughs> if you need to be operating in complete flow all the time. But um, so, so you know, we've talked at length before, but I don't really know your personal story about how this impacted you and the effect it had on, on your life, if you will. Yeah, um, it's really... God, I know we've uh, yeah we've had quite a lot of conversations about this, and yet um, it's super layered. It's very subtle. Um, it's very confusing. So there's not one 
specific thing. But let me try and use a little therapeutic language to, to kind of um, clarify it a bit. All right, don't um, make it too complicated. <laughs> no, no, no. It's for like uh, to take the complex complexity out of it. Basically, like um, if if you have two parents who aren't um, completely fully developed themselves, they are going to have needs, and they'll try and um, fulfill those needs through their children. So here's how it looks like in uh, families. I'm trying to think how it was in mine, but certainly. You see when mom becomes friends with their daughters or sons um, or, or just basically when a parent wants to spend so much time with their children all the time, they may not have a social life of their own. Um, so then the kid's going to lose out on childhood relationships and friendships because they're always with mom and dad. So that's um, just a quick description of, of one of the, the, the many things that happens in dysfunctional families. Okay, cool. So in in many aspects i see that as as kind of one finger to dysfunctional families and in many aspects it's like where what you're describing to me sounds like where the parent felt like they kind of fucked up so much in their own life and and didn't do what they wanted to do and live out their dreams that they they now live vicariously through their child and that kind of interrupts the child's growth and development is that right yeah that's that's definitely an element and another is just that they're just yeah they're not fulfilled um and this is maybe a brutal way describing it but if you imagine a car and uh it's got a gas tank and it's not totally full um if your parent is the car you're the gas station so they come to you to fill up uh their tank from you uh, which can be depleting, and that that kind of enters into narcissism. But um, that's that's what it can look like, and uh, so the child basically they're they're missing out on, on joyful experiences because their their parent is depending on them to fill them up. Um, does that register? Does that? Yeah, I I I don't relate that to my personal life, but it makes total sense. I mean, we see it all the time. Um, that's why I th but yeah that's super interesting man and how did this play out for you I think I'm still trying to figure that out I mean certainly because <laughs> <laughs> look man like I said it's layered it's very layered it's very subtle um, for me how did it play out um, well I think I generally it just it was very, um, I never knew what was going to happen next. Um, you know, I, I had a father who was a bit angry and he could explode at a moment's notice. So that, just that kind of on edge feeling uh, was really prevalent because uh, I didn't know when dad was going to explode. And, and um, a dad's job is to protect. Um, and, and that was just the opposite. So, um, so that's, yeah, that's that's one piece where it, where it showed up big time in my family. So ultimately, a lot of it is you're walking on eggshells in a, in a constant state of fear when when you shouldn't be. You should be feeling protected and loved, and that the consequences of that for you was anxiety, right? Yeah, precisely. And then um, 
you know, in adult relationships that comes up, there's that fear of being yelled at, that concern when the threat's not real. So like you're saying, absolutely, yeah, like um, not getting the love, the nurturance that would happen in a healthy family. Um, and instead just that fear, that anxiety that, you know, what's going to happen next. So, yeah, you, you nailed it, Nick. you right on the head. Yeah, I mean, I think it's crazy because our parents – you know do everything out of love or the majority of parents do anyway and you know there isn't that kind of realization there i think like what we see what a lot of things that may have negatively impacted our generation are now the opposite is happening now i'm reading a book called the coddling of the american mind and it's all about overprotecting your kids and you know they're showing a lot of studies that point to that where the kids are coddled so much that they're not exposed to just shit that happens in life because the parents want to uh, protect them so much. And as a result of that, you have the rise of, you know, every, everything being called out as offensive and all that kind of crap. And in the end, it's actually leading to increased levels of anxiety and depression. So that's like a full swing of the pendulum but the, the problem ends up the same. If not, it, it's potentially even exacerbated more than it was back in our day through the rise of social media and stuff. It's crazy, eh? Yeah, and you know, I mean, you bring up a good point about parents doing the best job they can, and they do, and if they could do a better job, they would have. So they just use the skills they have, and some have a lot, and children respond well to that, and when they don't, um, children uh, are impacting negatively but uh, look I mean I read that being a parent is the har hardest job in the world it never ends and no one gives you a playbook I mean there's plenty of books out there but um, I think if you ask any parent um, how helpful one or two books were to them in the whole scheme of parenting probably very little um, we're humans we're complex beings uh, to be in charge of one or many is a, you know, it's, that's a really high order. Um, so when you look at dysfunctional families and parents, it's, it's, you know, there's a part where it's easy to point the finger, but the most difficult part is, is realizing that, wow, they just, you know, they are doing the best they can. Um, and they're not given that much guidance. So, uh, that, that, that's a really important piece to consider them. Well, yeah. looking at the family and, and considering, you know, how they how they impact us. Yeah, for sure. It's complex, all right. Um, you know, I don't have a kid, and fuck, I, I'm definitely in... <laughs> I'm definitely <laughs> no way ready to have one. I would be terrified of, of what might happen, but um, I think you've got to rise to the occasion and do the best you can. And it's interesting you speak to education there, and I th I think that is one of the major problems. I just I think society, the governments and stuff are so infatuated by money and, and corruption and and everything that just fills their pockets that there isn't nearly enough emphasis on education around our emotions, our, our needs, which you spoke to earlier on, which are, are drastically important. And when you can kind of understand human needs psychology, it all makes so much more sense. But there's none of this in education. We've got to learn about sedimentary rocks and 
fucking oxbow mm. lakes and all this crap that really isn't necessary i mean it's it's good to have a, a little bit of a grasp of this stuff but i don't know 20 years on ask me what an oxbow how an oxbow <laughs> lake is formed and i don't have a clue but if i had some education around anxiety and panic when i had my first panic attack um my life would have been a whole lot better or a whole lot different i'm not listen there was shit i came through it i'm pretty happy with my life now but um i think once you're in amongst the thick of it uh it's 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 quite difficult to see the the light and and the sunshine and you know everything's shit and um it becomes a really tricky thing to get out of and it's just so unnecessary from from my vantage point now having been through it uh you know it could be cleaned up so easily through education which is terrible really yeah i i don't disagree and and when you think about education i spoke kind of on the larger scale but even the smaller scale i mean you look at families and and we pass down behavioral traits right and and if you think about education within the family uh we're either passing down healthy behaviors or not so people who come from healthy families their grandparents taught your parents healthy behaviors how to how to parent um and that's impactful and that's helpful whereas on the other end um people come from unhealthy families they've been educated uh how to really behave not the best and that gets passed on so really coming out of that and learning that the healthy behaviors is the key if if you're used to the unhealthy behaviors and that's the that's that's the work essentially um so it can be done it just uh it requires a bit more effort yeah for sure i mean misery is the easiest option unfortunately <laughs> absolutely so j- just to dive a little bit into your kind of relationship with anxiety tip how did it how, how did it play out for you in life and kind of how, how you know, how did it impact your life and how did you manage it, first of all, starting out and then we want to obviously get to, you know, making your life a whole lot better. Yeah, I mean, I think the huh, the anxiety, the worry, the concern, we touched on it a little bit before, just with the not knowing what's going to happen next. Um, that was a huge one. Um, and that would be hypervigilance is the word for it always looking out for a threat um so that that was big and um trying to think what else uh just never yeah never knowing what's going on never knowing what to expect and not having rules i grew up without rules um i could do whatever i want whenever i wanted to so i was like a little adult i i I had to kind of make my own rules which is um that's a bit overwhelming when you're five years old and you can do whatever you want. So, oh fuck. <laughs> and um, so, so what? What did you do? Like, how, how did you live your life? How did you live your life to manage it? You know. Yeah, that's survival. Um, so there wasn't a plan. I didn't write it out as a little five-year-old at the beach. I'd actually, I would go, um, I'd go up to the beach every day. In the, I live two blocks from the ocean, so um, go help the lifeguard set up. Then there's people at the beach and brothers and sisters. So, uh, you know, I got through, and there's a lot of fun. It, it's it's kind of like being, what is it, um, 
Huck and Finn, like just just a young kid on an adventure, it was a constant adventure. So it was um, it was just a wild time, and there really wasn't management of it back then. It was just um, let's see what happens next. And uh, um, then what, becoming an yeah yeah fire away. No, sorry. Was there because you you talked to me about self destruction before, so you know I know that. Shit is uh, (laughs) I know that's something that maybe you don't want to talk about but I think um, you know by by opening up about that people will really appreciate where you're coming from and I have a much better understanding of of um, of you as a person and appreciation for the work you're doing and also for just being able to share that vulnerability with them yeah um i think i know where you're headed with this (laughs) um no problem so yeah i mean look it's super anxious never knowing what's gonna happen next and um alcohol can really calm you down and i found that to be the case for me you know the first time i had alcohol it's just it was a feeling of everything's okay now i don't have to worry um so for me that was that's what got me through um through childhood really from from 11 years old on just using the alcohol to calm down at least get a minute of feeling like everything's okay um so that was my go-to for quite a while yeah i mean and i I really appreciate you saying that um you know, you know, I I know it's it's something you've never discussed before. I've I've discussed my shit before, so it's it's less. It means less for me to say that stuff, but I th- I want to just condone you, or that's the right word, but just like <laughs> let you know how much I appreciate you j- just saying that because I think it's extremely powerful and relatable. Because you know, I know for me as well, alcohol was major. It was just like, and it wasn't. You know, I was always a bit of a party boy, but I was doing it because I was in so much pain, actually physical pain, that the anxiety manifested in crazy headaches for me. So, and, and, and you know, sometimes if I wanted to talk to something, someone, I'd feel like my head was about to explode. Um, so alcohol just became this massive relief. And, it, it, you know, it was wrapped up as just a, a a young party guy but inside i was kind of dying um it's crazy you know we drink to escape the pain or you can drink to have fun and it's hard sometimes to distinguish between the two yeah that that rings some bells for me for certain so how did you kind of because you had a real rocky road there for a while um and how did you, what kind of triggered that decision within you to change your relationship with alcohol and change, essentially change the course of your life? Yeah, um, really simple. You know, some people have stories of crashing cars or going to jail or, you know, alcohol can take people to some pretty crazy places. Um, mine was just simple. You know, I was just... Um, I love to surf. It's my passion, and I was going to the going to get alcohol, going to the liquor store more often than I was going to the beach to surf, um, and that happened uh, enough times to where I just felt like my life was getting smaller, and 
just filled with more alcohol and less waves. And uh, I think I just hit, you know, woke up one morning and I could just see it, um, could see what was happening. Like, I don't, I don't want my life to go in this direction. Um, so what would happen if I gave it up? And I, you know, that day I just said, I think I'm done doing this and uh, never, never went back. Thank God. That's awesome. So it, it was kind of like a, a, taking time to gain perspective and then one day just making a decision that like you, you felt, am I right in assuming that, but essentially you felt like you'd hit rock bottom and you were kind of sick of being there and you decided, you know, if I want to do something about it, I, I've got to make these choices. It's on me. I've got to take responsibility for my life and my happiness um so alcohol can go piss off essentially well i mean look we all have intuition and we honor it or not there's always gonna be that there's always going to be at least one healthy voice inside you that that's urging you to do the healthy healthy thing um and i didn't hear that voice for quite a while and then i ignored it but um I think you hear it enough at some point, you know, you trust your intuition and, and it's really, it's pretty much that simple. If you just honor that, that intuitive voice that's trying to take care of you, it'll steer you in the right direction, but you got to, um, be willing to listen to it and act on it. And I think it just, it just kept on getting louder and louder and the drinking became less and less fun. Um, and that's, that's what brought me to that point really yeah good for you man i love how you put it there so eloquently like you, you know we all have one at least one smart voice going off inside us but at times you question that is it Do you, like why why is it that we don't really listen to that voice like that's the one looming question that i have it's the one pattern that i see with people doing this work I know it was the case for me and, and it, it often in many ways it's like you know to really push that comfort zone you have to reach rock bottom like and do work that could have been a hell of a lot easier to do five years prior what is that like do, do you have an opinion about that or because I think it's crazy such, such a good question oh my god yeah um the answer is just spinning in my head um, kind of a, if you take like a philosophical stance on it right it's like huh you could listen to the voice or not why would you ignore a voice that like encourages you to be healthy and, and and I think kind of more the global answer is that it's less fun I mean if you're going to you, you, say you have just two voices in your head the, the, the more destructive one and the healthier one the destructive one may take you to some pretty fun places. And, um, you know, are you willing to give up the fun, even if it's harmful to some degree, for uh, the healthy? And the healthy is really taking responsibility, responsibility for yourself. Um, it's less sexy. So so the more destructive one is the sexier one. Um, the, 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 res the healthy one is the more responsible one. So in some ways, it's like a, a parent and a child. The parent's going to take care of things. The child's just going to run wild. So, you know, you have choice. You have choices, and, and then you'll get the results from the choices you make. 
but the, the options are always available, really. Man, I love that answer. It's so true, isn't it? I mean, the part of me is here going, it, it, it's to do with comfort and obviously dealing with anxiety, dealing with de depression, mood disorders, dealing with any shit in your life, it's like it requires work. And so in essence, you have to you have to push your comfort zone. And and we don't like that, you know, because it's unpredictable. We're unsure. You know, we worry about rejection and failure and everything that potentially lies outside of our comfort zone. So there's predictability. But on the other hand, there's I, I really like how you put it, because <clears throat> I'm not sure I've, I've ever thought about it in that way or I certainly haven't articulated it in that way. But it makes so much sense. You know, it's kind of like you can see it being played out. It, it's fun to be fucked up in a way. It's not fun to be fucked up, but there's a kind of sexy appeal to it. Um, that is incredibly intoxicating for a lot of people, I think. And uh, yeah, it was it, it, in the Facebook group the other day. There, I put a an article on nav navigating turbulence in life, and one of the guys in there was just commenting on how it took him years of basically we're talking about acceptance here. Of it, it took him years to accept the fact that alcohol was like bad for him it just it, it gave him nothing good in life and he eventually had to give it up and he did give it up but it took him years of agony of like going like oh why the fuck did everybody else drink and not me and th that like it's that you know we want to be partying we want to be going to Ibiza the whole time we want to be just we want to burn both ends of the candle or the stick or whatever that saying is and after a while if you've kind of like been impacted and you haven't really done sufficient work around it I wouldn't say sufficient work around it but you haven't received the proper guidance because I believe everyone out there is trying and uh, it's just made out to be way harder than it actually is which just makes this self-fulfilling prophecy of crap yeah yeah yeah, and I, and I mean, I remember from my experiences, it's like, oh, I could give it up, but then I'm giving up all that excitement and the, the stories, and I mean, bring it therapeutically for one second, it just looked like, like we come, one of the characteristics of growing up in dysfunction later on is you, you become addicted to excitement, so you're just recreating like the... the your experience of home life where it's just wild but there's it's exciting so there's fun and excitement so are you willing to give up the gorgeous girl who's like who the sex is great with but who's call, causing you emotional turmoil for for the girl who maybe you're less attracted to um the sex is a little not isn't as exciting yet you're emotionally stable with her and that's <laughs> that's a choice you can make yeah that's super interesting <laughs> I guess that's about you want to find that balance right but that's why balance is key in all aspects of life so you said something there that was that caught my attention based on a conversation that we had the other day um, you were talking about being addicted to excitement and we were we were speaking about addiction the other day and 
I'm not sure. Can you remember what what you had to say in it? Because it was really interesting. Uh, about the excitement thing? Uh, well, about addiction in general, but it could be tied into the excitement thing. Let me remember. Um, you were creating I, something about creativity and addiction. Oh, sure. I think, let me know if this is right, that it was, it was the idea of how do we channel, um, how do we channel our feelings into a creative outlet? So if you're addicted, there's this energy that you have that if you're not, if you're not drinking if you're an addict and you're not using you're not drinking there's these emotions all these feelings swirling around and they can be really intense including anxiety and it's like what do i do with all this anxiety you could go for a run you could dance you could lift you could do these things or you could channel it it into some creative activity um so it's it's i think the question is just like what do you do with these really intense feelings um, and if you, you look at artists, right, a lot of artists are out of their minds. Um, <laughs> and, and, but that's like a lot of that, those feelings are what created that amazing art. So that's, yeah, that's an example of what it can look like. I hope, I hope that was along the lines of what you're talking about. That is, yeah, no, cause it is, cause I think once we, you know, I think there's a real, you know, one of the things I speak about or what I believe to be a major issue for people that suffer with anxiety and depression is like having fun is the first thing we forget and the last thing we remember. And until you remember to have fun again, you're not really going to truly escape and, you know, start living your life again. And then, of course, you get pulled into the personal development trap that tells you on a subliminal level that you need to be perfect. And that's a very hard trap to get out of because, of course, you're never going to be perfect. And um, I thought that, yeah, was it a TED talk I watched? But we were talking about, you know, they were doing everything you know and addiction is wrong, I think is the name of the TED talk. And he was talking about this rat heaven. So they were essentially feeding the rats heroin, but they had placed them in like, sewers but i guess that's rat heaven to a rat but you know they had them in a real horrible environment and then they were the rats became addicted to heroin quite quickly and then the scientist was here going no i don't believe that look at the environment you're putting them in of course they're going to be taking the heroin they you know they live a shitty existence and then so what he did was split them up and he took the rats and created rat heaven which was essentially disneyland for rats and when they were put into rat heaven, they were still, you know, the option of drinking the water with the heroin in it was there, or they could just drink regular Evian water. And, and the majority of the rats, when they were in rat heaven, just they didn't want anything to do with the heroin. So it, it was kind of relating it back to environment, which is, which is also massively massively important right you know just sometimes we have to escape our environment because that's that's what's keeping you stuck you know if you're in a job and you hate your boss and and like you really hate what you're doing on a daily basis and you you're not on a good um you don't have good relationships with your colleagues then 
of course you're going to be anxious and feel sad and be depressed maybe but you're going to have to break into a new environment and then you can absolutely flourish in that environment and it's that fear that um you know it's that fear i don't think that's where you the excitement comes in but i think that's where the comfort stuff comes in and plays a more prominent role of just breaking through that and actually having the belief and trust in yourself that you can do better and you do deserve better yeah absolutely i think i just went off on a tangent (laughs) i don't have a great response for you there but i mean what i did hear is environments important um, a harmful environment uh, can really disrupt you and, and a supportive environment can um, put you out on a, a healthier track so so Tim when 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 you decided to kick to kick drink out of your life what was the next you know what was the next year six months year two three four five years like for you what 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 did that journey entail because you know your life changed drastically there for the better um so what was that journey like for you yeah i'd say it started out as hellish um because look when when you have a feeling and and you drink often you can use alcohol to numb it out um i'd gotten so used to drinking uh, to numb out feelings, but without it, I started feeling the feelings. So, uh, really, just high intensity feelings all the time, uh, and lots of sugar. I would go to in, in America. We have Seven Eleven. It's like a quick quickie mart, and I told myself I was going to get coffee. But what that meant was a, a, a cup full of marshmallows and um, some sugary cappuccino with with a dash of coffee. And that was just to replace all the sugar from the alcohol. <laughs> oh, that's interesting. <laughs> and that was two or three times a day. <laughs> oh, God. So it was a mad dash to stay, like, not insane for quite a while. Um, yeah. So it was brutal. I'd say that was the first six months to year was just replacing the sugar and, and trying to stay emotionally sane. And were um, you doing this work on your own, or did you have support? At that point, I didn't. I uh, I didn't enter the world of recovery until I was a year sober. Um, so I was just a mess. And you were <laughs> trying to figure it all out on your own? Yeah, it was a confusing, a really confusing time, because I had, uh, I considered, oh, maybe I'm addicted to alcohol. Um, and I just really subtly brought that up to my family and they, they told me, we don't think you have a problem. Talked to an old family therapist. He said, I don't think you have a problem. Um, so it was a very confusing, (laughs) a confusing time to figure out is this, do I have a problem or, um, do I not? Because the people who know me well are telling me I don't. Yeah. That's crazy, isn't it? I mean, yeah, challenging. Yeah, that 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 dismissal of these of anxiety, depression, of addiction, or anything like that. By when people say there's nothing wrong with you, just it makes me want to do things. 
that are <laughs> that aren't very nice. It kind of drives me crazy. Just I guess that comes to stigma and things like that. Um, so the first year was brutal, and which is always great to hear. <laughs> and um, sorry, and then then what happened after that? So yeah, that first year was brutal because, well, I mean, I'm coming out of numbing feelings for so long, so it just naturally that's what's going to happen. And not having support that was part of the brutal piece, uh, figuring out all on my own. So then. Year two, I started to get into recovery, started to have uh, get in touch with people who were um, experiencing the same things I was, uh, having the same emotional swings that I was, and I could I could talk to them. I could give them a call and say, "Listen, I'm feeling really fucked up right now. Can I just share this?" And they said, "Yeah, sure." And they told me, "This helps me when you tell me." Um, so definitely a different message than I'd ever heard before of, oh, you're okay, just, just take care of yourself. Um, I had people who spoke, who spoke my language, who understood what the experience was to be without alcohol um, when the body craved it. Mm. I mean, like to go, through, to go through an alcohol addiction and, and on sheer willpower alone, to not drink for a year, even though it was brutal, is a testament to to kind of your strength of character and then to actually you know have the humility to realize all right if i want this to be lasting and more effective i'm going to try need to try different strategies and and lean on other people and it is amazing when someone just listens and understands what you're going through you know empathy is something that i think is lacking big time and just like having that ear because it's so rare today when everyone's just on their smartphones and um god my you know i've just given up instagram this week my girlfriend is so much happier because i'm just not on there just like giving (laughs) away my time to some stupid app but um yeah it's amazing what can happen from sharing and, and being truly vulnerable not like manufacturing vulnerability but actually being true truly vulnerable with your peers who have who've gone through similar shit and understand what you're going through so they can kind of help you out and you know just to be dependent on other human beings and not trying to do it on, all on your own well that not all on your own is huge and and you said two words i think you said dismissed um and what was the other one fuck it was a. Uh, I forget what the other one was, but yeah, I mean, I mean, look, if you're, if you look at the family, to go back to the family again, right? Like you have, oh, it was understood what you said. So Sorry, what? like understood was the second, oh, the right, second yeah. word and just that experience of being dismissed in the family and not understood God on an emotional thing, where do you have to go? Um, so then this recovery is just the opposite, right? You're having people who aren't dismissing you they're giving you that luxury of listening which i think you're just talking about and they want to understand you um not just because they're amazing people but because understanding you helps them understand themselves better too so yeah it's a mutually beneficial thing and and you're right people i I, it's it's rare to have someone listen to you um and want to understand you nowadays for for whatever the reasons but um 
to your point, I think it's wildly helpful to have have some open, empathetic ears because it's just such a rarity. And so when did you, what kind of timeline are we looking at now where you felt like, okay, you know, I've got a grasp of this and I know, you know, I know we're always, you know, we're not perfect humans. We still have shit we're going through and shit we're trying to figure out. We were talking about that the other day and, you know, a lot of time when, when we write, we write about, you know, something that's that's come up in life that we're trying to figure out in that moment in time but when when did you kind of just change the direction of your life right and decide like like essentially find meaning uh you know find that greater meaning and excitement because you did some pretty cool stuff then right yeah um I don't know the cool stuff you're talking about. I'm sure it's in there. Maybe I don't know. I just made it up. Ha <laughs> Fuck yeah. That's vulnerable. Um, yeah, I've done a lot of cool shit in my life for sure. Tons of travel. Um, and to answer your question, that was all driven by, like, I think you're saying, like, what was the meaning in the life, the, the searching? Uh, for me, it was, that's the spiritual piece. Um, you know, like, okay, I don't have control over alcohol. And uh, can I can I submit to that idea, and just kind of lean into this idea that something bigger than me is 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 like that I can give it away to to someone bigger than me, so that I can just let go of the control. So just doing spiritual seeking is kind of where my life led to as a result of of my drinking. So it was either drink more, or do more spiritual seeking. And that really led me out to the path to Southeast Asia and now eventually Bali and just all this kind of recovery work, all this this looking at like what the hell happened and, and why I why am I who I am today? How did I get here? And um, <laughs> you know, that, that that's a search that could never end, but um, I think when people are going and they're trying to find themselves, like this is the type of things that they do they try and connect the dots mm-hmm. that may, maybe really weren't connected before it's just dots on a page and you know it's nice to get a few lines connected so you can start to see what the image of the dots is alright good for you um, yeah you're right I mean that that uh, Tony Robbins talks about that a lot in his in human needs psychology and it's our need for his spiritual connection i believe he calls it it's just like you know growth contribution something greater than yourself that can truly set you free um that's massively important i also think it's massively confusing right i mean like i i if i had to identify with any of i don't know spirituality seems like it's becoming a religion but if i had to identify as as anything i'd identify as as someone spiritual i I don't think i'm overly spiritual but you know i like a lot of that spiritual philosophy I, i like you know, I'm down with how the Buddha and, and the Dalai Lama and those kind of stuff show compassion towards others. And I'm not going meditating for seven years in the mountains or anything like that. But I think that, you know, if you had to seek wisdom from anybody, that's probably the best group to do it from. Um, 
It's confusing though, isn't it? Spirituality is confusing. It's it's it, like it's it's become so trendy that you don't know what's going to help you or what's going to kind of fuck you up. Yeah, and they say there's this line that simple is spiritual. So the more complex your life becomes, it's a good chance you're stepping away from that spiritual center. And, uh, you know, if, even if you think spirituality is, is like you just the core of you, um, getting back in touch with yourself. And, and the simpler you make your life, um, the better in touch you'll be with you. And, and when I say with you, like your feelings, your wants, your desires, you know, like what's going on with you. You can distra can distract yourself from you really easily by just always having things going on. But uh, if you can slow down a little bit, you you'll you'll start to get back in touch with that intuition. And then if you can start to allow your life to be driven by intuition, things become a little bit more obvious and a little less confusing, and maybe less exciting, <laughs> like we talked about before, but um, much more manageable. Yeah, well, it's exciting to not wake up every day full of dread and, <laughs> uh, and hating your life, um, even though you might have to give up a few things. But yeah, that's part of life. We kind of live and learn. But um, Tim, that has been that has been awesome. I've I've loved talking to you. It's like it's so funny. Like we were there before for the listeners, I guess, before we, we did this, we were just kind of winging it here. And we just said to ourselves, fuck it. If, if, if it, if it flops, it flops, we don't have to put it out there. But I, I think, um, we've had a good conversation and we're hearing the feedback. I think we can put it out there. I want to thank you for, for coming on and, and for, for being really open and, and sharing. So, so openly with everyone i know that i kind of maybe pushed you on that a little bit but um we had spoken about it before um just in case you're listening i'm not being a complete dick and um i think i think a lot of people will get a lot of value from that uh i hope so anyway and you know just before we wrap this up if you could give a few tips to someone that's going through anxiety or depression or just like struggling in life right now what would it be what would they be yeah uh, the tips are some of the anxiety and depression um oh this may sound fatherly but i think it's worth sharing just saying everything is going to be okay even if it feels like it isn't right now that's just just kind of an overview thought and then um if you can write just write down what's going on when you're really feeling it. That would be two. And then three, connect with good, healthy people. Um, people who, who who respect you, treat you well, who are curious about you and um, want to hear how you're doing. And if you're given the opportunity, someone says how you're doing um, and you trust them, let them know. It's better out than in. I was just looking at the recorder there and it seemed to stop that I was here going, shit, man, I, I forgot to press record again. But I didn't, oh, I didn't, it's okay, it's okay. That, that, good, that good, was good. awesome. Thank, Tim, thank you so much for those tips. Thank you so much, they're great tips. Um, thank you so much for listening. If you want to subscribe, leave a review, all that kind of jazz, you could do so. There'll probably be a link somewhere and Oh, oh yeah, before you go, where can people find you? 
Sure, yeah. So uh, a few different ways. You can just email me. Miss Dave Instagram. I'm a bit behind, but that's what I do. Email is fitzgerald.timothy at gmail.com. I'll say it again, fitzgerald.timothy at gmail.com. Um, I have a site called Evolved Counseling, E-V-O-L-V-E-D counseling.com. Uh, so either through email or through the site, there's a contact form on the site. Just give me a shout. Awesome, bro. And we will put those in the notes below and um, any other information relative to this chat. And again, thank you so much for coming on. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time and your insights and have an awesome day. And thank you all to who are still listening, which is pretty incredible. Uh, we really appreciate you and have an awesome day to you too. Bye.